This morning we're continuing in our series on Matthew, and um, we uh, last week when George Budd was here, he had uh, was preaching on Isaiah, which was great, and I gave the life groups uh, some work from Matthew seven, uh, uh, Matthew seven, and uh, we're going back in Matthew seven again, but we're coming back to the beginning because in the series uh, I was planning on preaching on verses one to six. And so we get today to address the non-Christian's favorite Bible verse. If anybody you know knows only one verse of the Bible, you could wager really good money, if we were allowed to bet. You could wager really good money that this is the verse they know. Judge not, lest you be judged. Everybody knows that verse, no matter what. So we're going to do some unpacking of this verse and hopefully by the end discover for ourselves how Jesus expects us to judge like a Christian. And when you say judge like a Christian in your head, you have to hum it to like walk like an Egyptian. Judge like a Christian. But we want to be compassionate, confident, and capable judges. And I'm just going to pray before we read the word of God here. Father God, just pray. Uh, It's been hard for me to set my mind uh, at rest even this week. And uh, so this has been a blessing this morning already to be able to sing praises to you and to rest in the goodness and the, and the remembrance of who you are, that you are sovereign and in control. And Father, now we get to look into your word, the scripture that you inspired, that you left for us so that we would not be orphans, so that we would not be blown here and there by every wind of this world that comes, but that we would Uh, have ballast and that we would be able to know how to respond and to judge and to ascertain and to discern. And there's a lot of that that we need to do today. And uh, so, Fathers, pray your blessing on us and on the reading of your word. In Christ's name, amen. So Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So we start right off with judge not that you be not judged. And in a way, it's too bad that in the English language and when we translate the Greek to the English, we put a period between verse 1 and 2. And really, it's too bad that we put a verse break there at all because neither the period nor the verse break, obviously, is there in the original text of the Greek. And by putting a period and a verse break there, virtually every time this scripture is referenced, most people think that it is perfectly okay to sever the first seven words that Jesus speaks from the 22 words that follow. They proclaim, judge not that you not be judged, and then slam the Bible shut, plug their ears, and say, that's all that we need to talk about. But the reality is that even without drawing another breath, Jesus continued his sentence he went on to say something more about what he meant by judge not, that you not be judged. And he has actually more to say on the subject of judging. 
So what context does Jesus immediately give us for this amazing statement that he says, judge not that you not be judged? He says that we will be judged in the way we judge and with the measures that we use. And the context Jesus puts judging in is, is, is what we can call correct measure or what we can call true weights. And the scriptures and all of his listeners, remember this is Jesus' disciples and a whole bunch of Jewish people sitting around him as he is speaking on the mountainside. They all know and pick up exactly what Jesus is referring to here. The Old Testament scriptures refer to this kind of judging over and over and over again. And I just picked out three of about 20 or 30 times that this is referenced. The scripture says things like in the Old Testament, which Jesus' listeners would know, you shall not do wrong in judgment in measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances and just weights, Leviticus 19. Or a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All weights of the bag are his concern, Proverbs 16. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are, an abom- are abominable to the Lord, Proverbs 20.10. So you can go through the Old Testament and you can find over and over again the scriptures referring to this idea that Jesus is putting his words in context of, which is that we need to be careful of the weights we use while we measure, while we judge. And so just so you know, you've got that old-fashioned scale, right? And you put weights on one side and you put whatever you're weighing on the other side and they add up. And all of these scriptures are referring to the fact that kingdom people, God's people, are going to use fair weights. And in fact, that fair weights belong to the Lord. The Lord is the judiciary of what weights are fair. So you don't put, you know, a certain amount of grain on this side of the scale, and then you've got like really uh, light weights on this side that tell you that, oh, you know, well, I'm only going to pay you for this much grain because, you know, this is all my weights say that you brought in. When in fact, you should be using fair weights to measure the grain and to pay what is fair. And so when the scriptures speak of judging, it's referring to judging correctly. In other words, judge rightly, not wrongly. Judge correctly, not incorrectly. Judge fairly, not unfairly. Judge without bias. And as we will see, judge not by human measure, because human measure of judging will always be faulty, but measure with godly measures which are true. So right off the bat, do not judge cannot mean... And every other scripture confirms it does not mean just check your brains at the door and call everything acceptable. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Paul tells the elders in the church to judge sheep from wolves in Acts 20.29 and the church to judge only its own people in 1 Corinthians 5.12. Jesus tells his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees in Mark 8.15. And in just a few verses below this text, He tells his disciples to determine who is a false prophet from a true prophet by their deeds or by their fruit in verses 15 and 16. And so over and over and over again, we encounter the reality that as kingdom people, as God's people, we have to have our brains turned on and we're supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to be judging all the time. We can't be obedient to anything God calls us to do in the scriptures without being judging, without judging, without assessing, without discerning. And so we can right away dispense with the simplistic notion that do not judge means just abandon all discernment, make no assessment of anyone, make no assessment of any circumstance, don't have an opinion about it, don't, you know, don't do any math when we're doing the judging of the situation, just, just let it go, you know, just, just have no opinion about it. So we can't say that. What we can say is that when we do judge, 
make sure that we are using the correct measures in our judgment. So in that sense, if, if we are to judge well, we don't use our own weights, we don't use our own assessments when we're judging, we don't put our own math in place when we are trying to add things up. If we want to judge rightly, we use God's weights and measures and God's arithmetic that he's provided in his word. And there's a sense in that in which it is correct to say that we don't judge. There is a sense really where we don't judge because God has already judged. He is the just measure that we use. He's the right measure. He's the fair measure. And all of those right measures and fair measures and appropriate measures are all God's measures. They're not ours. We didn't come up with the weights that we use. We didn't come up with the commands. We didn't come up with these things. God did. We apply them. He is just and he is fair and he is right. And so the best way to judge is to conform ourselves to God's judgment. And so when people come to me and I say something about what they're doing or their behavior or their attitude, or I think, you know, that's, you know, my, you know, if you're asking me as a pastor, I don't think this is the right way to go. And they say, well, you know, who are you to judge? It's, I'm not judging. God has judged already. I'm just conveying to you what the measures are. I didn't come up with the measurements. I didn't come up with the constraints or the the benefits or the blessings or any of that stuff god has already judged i'm simply conveying to you what his judgments are and so in that sense we don't judge but this is how we become confident judges we become confident judges as christians when we judge only by god's measures hebrews 4:12 says it very well says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews says, you want the best judge? It is the word of God. The word of God establishes the measures, and they are precise. It's the word that judges, and it's narrow, it's sharp, it can rightly divide, and it can rightly discern things. And discern is a great English word for what we can substitute here and separate judging from judgmentalism. Because I think when we talk about judging, and what I think Jesus would agree with is, he says, my people are not judgmental. We don't walk around in a state of judgmentalism where we need to proclaim judgments upon people or have an opinion about everything or to even have an attitude of judgmentalism. But what we need to do, as the writer of Hebrews says here, use the word of God to be discerning. Judgmentalism is a negative human judging that demeans others and puts ourselves in the seat of God. But what God asks of his people is to use his scripture in order to be discerning. Now, we need the sharpness and the precision of the word, not so much to discern right from wrong. And I've talked about this before. As I was writing this, I was remembering, I've already preached this part before. But it's important to repeat. Because we don't need the sharpness of God's word. We don't need the the precision of God's word to discern right from wrong. Because almost anybody can discern right from wrong with the conscience that God has already given them. What is difficult and what we most often need as Christians operating in this world and with each other and we need the word of God for is discerning right from almost right. There are a lot of things that are almost right. And we need to discern things that are almost right from things that are actually right. The things that are almost right sound right. At first glance, they seem right. You can even approach them and build an argument that sounds right. But in the end, they're actually wrong. 
Our conscience on its own is not sharp enough to determine what is truly right and what is almost right. We need a sharper tool than just our own fallen and faulty wisdom. We need a sharper tool than just our own conscience. We need the sharp tool of the Word of God for that. I'll give you an example. This big cultural example, okay? So less than a 100 years ago, Canadian and American doctors were making logical and sound arguments for eugenics and sterilization as both a measure of compassion towards people with genetic disorders and to improve and protect the health of the wider population. Just a hundred years ago, right, American societies of doctors, Canadian doctors were making very logical, right-sounding arguments for eugenics and sterilization. Then Hitler happened. And all of a sudden, this very logical idea that very intelligent and careful and thoughtful people were promoting was suddenly cast in a whole new light, and the evil of eugenics became obvious and apparent. And so we can't trust even careful, thoughtful consciences to divide what is right from what is almost right. And today, there are very careful and reasoned arguments for all sorts of behavior that people want to justify for all various sorts of motives. Some of them selfish, some of them that they think, that they think are compassionate, And their logic can sound very convincing until suddenly it isn't. Until suddenly, 10, 15, or 20 years down the road, it becomes apparent that our culture in this particular decade was rationalizing evil ideas. Just the way doctors were rationalizing evil ideas 100 years ago. So we as a culture, we as a people, as the human race, and we especially as Christians, we need more than just our conscience to make judgments about right and wrong, between good and evil. We need the Word of God to provide that sharpness that can split the difference between almost right and truly right. And as Christians, our faith is 100% in the wisdom of God and His Word. He created us, and His Word, rightly applied, cuts through to the very messy and even deceptive motives of our hearts. It recognizes that there are very complex situations in our world. There are very complex situations in our culture. There are very complex situations in our own hearts in our very being, where the path through those complex feelings is very thin and it's a very narrow one, but it is still there. There is a right path. There is a narrow path. There is a solid path, and it's a precise path, and the Word of God can lead us on it. As John Stott once said, Jesus does not tell us here to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which help distinguish us from the animals. But he tells us here to renounce our presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judge and lawmaker. We are not the judge. God is the judge. We don't presume to be the judge. We go to the judge for his true and right and honest weights and measures, his discernment. So God is judged. God has given us his judgments. We do not judge by our measures but by his measures and by being carefully discerning. Not judgmental, not hypocritical, not harsh, not unreasonable or impure. And Jesus is now going to go into all of that stuff about judging too. But if we're going to be confident judges, we need to do it based on God's word. If we're going to weigh people and circumstances properly by God's word, we must necessarily be a Bible-saturated people who know God's word and wisdom. We cannot be competent judges without 
deeply knowing the Word of God and what it says. We have to be a spiritual people and only allow ourselves to discern or judge when we are confident that we're standing firmly on the wisdom of God, when we're judging in the way that we would want ourselves to be judged only by the wisdom of God. The other difference between discernment and judgmentalism is the attitude by which it's expressed, and this is what Jesus goes into as well here. And I just want to touch on this idea before we get into that, on this idea of compassion versus affirmation. When, when we make this idea of Christians not being judgmental sort of active in our life, and we should, we're not to be judgmental, we're meant to be discerning. So we make that distinction. Then there's another distinction we must also make, that compassion that comes along with our discernment does not equal affirmation. And I think there's a great deal of confusion that lies here. That's why I have this little section in the, in the sermon here. Because this can be so confusing that we even confuse ourselves. And there's two ways that we confuse ourselves between compassion for somebody and affirmation. We might think this way. I can't show this person who is wrong compassion because if I show them compassion, they will think that I affirm them. And so we get caught in this error that we ourselves have to somehow take a hard stance towards someone so that it's clear that we don't agree with them and are disagreeing or discerning that what they're doing is wrong. We feel like we're not even allowed to show them compassion because they might accidentally think we affirm them or that other people might accidentally think that we affirm them. So it's confusing because we, we make that mistake. Or, and this is perhaps even worse, when we see some other Christian showing compassion towards a person who is walking in error or walking in sin, and there needs to be discernment and there needs to be intercession and there, there needs to be judging. But when we see another Christian, not us, showing compassion to someone who we see walking in error, we actually get angry at that other Christian for showing them compassion. Because don't they know that they're supposed to be judged right now? And we actually think that other Christians should be judging them rather than showing them compassion. That is a terrible error when we do that. But this is how we fool ourselves and we confuse compassion with affirmation. But there's a second way that we do this as well. There's another error where we get compassion and affirmation confused. We sometimes think this way. I know the word of God and I know that I should not affirm or agree with the sin or the error that I find in this person. This person is sinning. They're, they're living a, a harmful life. It's going to be destructive to them. They're ultimately going to be, uh, there's going to be regret for what they're doing. They're going to harm others. So I know that they're, what they're doing is sinful because I know the word of God and I know that he is for us and not against us and he's given us these instructions for good purpose and that there's greater joy in obeying him. And so I know that this person is in error, but I feel compassion for them. I mean, there's someone I like. Maybe they're a relative. Maybe they're my son or daughter. Maybe they're my nephew or maybe they're just a friend that I have. And so I feel compassion for them and then we get confused again and we actually start to confuse ourselves and think, if I feel compassion for these people, well, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should be affirming them. Maybe what they're doing isn't wrong because I, f I feel like I like them. And so we actually get confused thinking that our emotion of compassion actually means that maybe I shouldn't not affirm them. Maybe I should be affirming them. If I mean, if I like them, shouldn't I affirm them? And we actually confuse ourselves. So do you see these two errors? 
Compassion is not the same as affirmation. We should not think that we need to act in an uncompassionate way just because we have discerned a person to be in error and we need to confront that error. It doesn't mean we don't be compassionate. Nor should we condemn other Christians for acting with compassion towards someone we think should be judged and confronted. But at the same time, we must also not confuse the fact that because we have compassion for people who are caught in error or caught in sin, that what they are doing isn't still sin. Just because we have compassion for them doesn't mean what they're doing isn't wrong. It just means we're compassionate, which is great. We can really like and love people who are disobeying God. Many of them are our best friends or your closest relatives. But we can't let our feelings of compassion confuse us into thinking that what they're doing must be okay just because we like them. And this is where disciplined thinking about categories of truth is important. This, this judging thing in the Christian life has got to be one of the top three hardest things. I, I didn't try to actually rank them, but it just in the back of my mind, I just thought right away, this has got to be one of the top three hardest things that Christians have to do. This takes discipline. This takes being saturated in the Word of God. This takes knowing what the Word of God is, knowing what the justice of God is and the measures and weights of God and His fairness is. This takes disciplined thinkings in terms of categories of truth. This takes disciplined understanding of our emotions and compassion and how to speak the truth in love this judging thing is hard and that's why in your life groups you're going to be looking at like eight or nine other scriptures in the old and the new testament where god talks about how christians are to judge and what we're supposed to judge so you've got lots of life group work to do we're not going to cover it all today by any stretch of the imagination proverbs 28 5 says this about the idea of disciplined thinking about categories of truth in judgment he says In Proverbs 28.5, it says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, in our fallen nature, apart from God, we don't understand how to judge properly. We don't understand justice. You have to seek the Lord in order to understand justice completely, and then you can judge, then you can discern, then you can assess, then you can intervene appropriately. James 3.17 is an amazing verse that unpacks for us this biblical blend of compassion and discernment. James 3.17 says it this way, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. So James here says wisdom or discernment that is from above or from God is pure. It's right. It's true. It's correct. It's righteous. And then along with the rightness or purity of it comes a whole bunch of what we can categorize as compassion. It says it's peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit. And then James says it again. It says it's unwavering. It doesn't change over time or the situation or the person. In other words, the judgments of God apply to everybody all through history, in every continent, in all demographics. It it wasn't right 100 years ago and now it's not right. Or it it was not right 200 years ago and now it is right. It's unwavering. There's no changeableness to it. And so James is saying that Christian discernment is sort of like a sandwich in this verse. The first slice of bread is that God's wisdom is pure and unchanging. It's not relative. It's absolute. It's not something that Christians can compromise on. And then the second slice of bread at the end is that it's unwavering and it's unbiased. It's not hypocritical. That's the the boundaries of good old-fashioned judgment, right? The people who like to judge like that part. It's pure. It's true. It's unwavering. Go, Go get them with God's judgment. But then what, look at what James puts in the middle of the sandwich, in the middle of the verse. The meat of James's wisdom sandwich is all compassion. 
The meat of the sandwich is that it is peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. The sandwich that James builds here is full of compassion. So yes, it's pure. First of all, God's truth is pure. His judgments are pure. And they are unwavering and they're not hypocritical. But in the middle of that sandwich is a whole bunch of compassion. So as we judge those that have sinned, that have offended, those that are walking in error, we are going to do that judging in purity and in truth and unwavering and unbiased and not hypocritical. But we're going to do that peacefully, gently, reasonably, full of mercy and good fruits. So what does that mean? That means that if you are judging someone, if you are discerning, if you are intervening, if you are assessing, if you are providing God's wisdom to them, and you do not sound gentle, or you do not behave reasonably, or if you have only a quarter of a tank of mercy rather than being full of mercy, if the fruit of your mouth and spirit are sounding more rotten than good, then you're not judging like a Christian. Because James says, and Jesus says, and God says, and Paul says, and everybody says in the Scripture that when Christians judge, they are full of compassion and good fruits and mercy and gentleness. Compassion is absolutely the heart of Christian discernment. Even at the same time, while we are careful not to confuse compassion with requiring that we give up purity or truth or steadfastness, the judgments of God don't change. But they are presented with compassion. Proverbs 25:26 says it this way, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. See what that's saying? That's just emphasizing the fact that just because we're being compassionate doesn't mean we're giving ground. If you give way to wickedness, if you give way to error, if you give way to sin, then you become muddied and polluted. And so God is not at all saying compromise. He's never saying compromise truth. He is repeatedly saying, you need to use my truth only, not your own. And you need to be incredibly gentle and merciful and full of good fruit while you do it. And this is the messy reality that Jesus entered into and showed us the way. That we have to be compassionate towards those that offend, but we must not affirm them. It's a very fine distinction And Jesus entered into that messiness and that difficulty. And we see it in Jesus himself, how he was rightly able to divide the categories of compassion and affirmation and judgment and judgmentalism. Jesus was overwhelmingly compassionate towards people whose lifestyle he could not affirm. And this confused the culture around him. Matthew 11, 19, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he says, John the Baptist came and he lived in the desert and he was, you know, wore sackcloth and ashes and he proclaimed the truth of God and, and, and you called him an ascetic. And then the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The, the, the compassion that Jesus showed to people who he could not affirm their behavior was confusing to the people around him. They said, look at him, he's, he's a drunk and he, he's a friend to all these sinners. He finishes the verse, though. He says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the people that felt that he was showing a little bit too much compassion to people he should be judging. He says, you think I was unwise to show compassion to sinners? 
You think that I should have come along and taken a hard stance, maybe a little bit more like John the Baptist? You think I should have distanced myself from them the way you do? But look at my ministry. Look at the fruit of it. Wisdom is justified by the deeds and the actions of the person doing it. The compassion of Jesus healed the sick. It rescued the lost. It saved sinners from destruction. So Jesus says, what I'm doing may seem confusing to you, but the results speak for themselves. So then Jesus goes on here, and he starts to talk about this. Compassion and how we need to be the ones who are using God's judgment, the log versus the speck. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we know how to be biblically confident and compassionate judge. Jesus now continues to tell us how to be a competent judge. We can be confident in the word of God. We can be compassionate because that's how we're instructed to judge. Now, Jesus says, you need to be a competent judge as well. And notice that we're eventually going to deal with the speck in our brother's eye. Jesus never says, don't ever take the speck out of your brother's eye. He just says, make sure there's not a log in your eye first. The first thing we have to do is get ourselves prepared to be competent before we start digging around doing surgery on someone else. And the imagery here that Jesus uses is intentionally comical. Okay, It's exaggerated to make sure people understand the significance of the point. As you read this text, it plays out in your mind a little bit like a Laurel and Hardy routine, doesn't it? I mean, some poor guy is sitting there at the doctor's office maybe, and he's sitting on the gurney, and he has a little tiny bit of sawdust in his eye. And the doctor comes along, and he has like this gigantic plank, somehow defying gravity, sticking out of his eye. right? And as he goes to approach the poor patient sitting there to get the speck out, he's like whacking him on the head with the plank, you know, or he's groping around in the corner because he can't even find him, right? So Jesus is not unaware that his language is comical. It's meant to be comical. It's meant to be, it's meant to be funny because you got a little bit of sawdust and a guy with a two-by-four across his face is trying to get it out. And, and so Paul picks up on this reality that Christians have to check and make sure they're actually in God's word themselves and have their own situation sorted out before they're competent to insert themselves into someone else's situation. Paul picks up on what Jesus is saying here in Galatians 6.1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There it is again. Can't get away from it whenever you're judging in the Bible. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted Let each one test his own work, he goes on to in verse 4. So the key phrase there, Paul says, is you who are spiritual, which is a funny phrase, and it can sound a bit arrogant, right? Like, I'm the spiritual one, so I'm going to do the judging. But he says, check yourself. Are you using God's measures? Are you compassionate? Are you full of mercy and good fruit? Make sure you are in a healthy place yourself before you start operating in others. So you who are spiritual, you who have done this homework, You who have checked your eyes to make sure that you're not blind, to make sure that you too aren't tempted by the same fault, that you've tested your own work, you who have done this work, you are the ones who should restore the person who needs to be judged. You're the one that should intercede. The competent judge. This is the log versus the speck that we are confident judges in God's word. We're compassionate judges because we... because we judge compassionately, but that we're competent, that we know that we are not suffering from the same sin or that we are not guilty of anything of the same nature or that we're not judging by our own motives. 
So we have to be competent judges as well. And then right at the end of this, Jesus inserts this one-liner that at first may not immediately seem to be related to what he's talking about judging and judge not, but it is actually a concluding application of the lesson. And it's pearls versus pigs. And he says that you should not throw... For some reason, I don't have it here. Is it up there? Is it up there? Do I have the text? There we go. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So there's a point, Jesus says here, where even compassion fails and we have no choice but to disengage. Jesus says here, you don't keep presenting the holy to people who are going to treat it like a dog toy. You don't put pearl necklaces on pigs who will only trample them into the mud. The reality, the conclusion of this word that Jesus has, very brief word on judging, is that unfortunate, we will run into hearts so hard that not even our compassion can melt them and not even the wisdom of Scripture can compel them. And they will continue to reject and they will continue to even tear and trample and hate the godly wisdom that we are offering them. And Jesus says when you run into those people, no matter how often you present them with biblical wisdom, or Christ-centered hope, they will continue to sneer at it or trample it or reject it. And Jesus says at that point, you can't help them anymore. There's a point at which even the word of God and compassion is not effective on someone. And Jesus says, you just have to stop. Now is not the time for them. Maybe later, right? Hopefully later. By the grace of God, maybe later for them. But there are plenty of people who need your compassion and wisdom and discernment right now. So be a good steward of your time. Be a good steward of your life and your energy and pour into people who are willing to drink. Pour into people where the Spirit has softened their hearts and the ground is ready for the seed of the gospel. And Jesus says sometimes, unfortunately, you're going to run into people that no matter how compassionate you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how much hope and grace you hold out to them, they will chew it up and spit it out and trample it like dogs and pigs. God says to Jeremiah, while Jeremiah was ministering to Israel at a time when Israel had their hearts set against God and they were heading towards the exile, they were rejecting God in every way, and Jeremiah felt like it was a useless task for him to speak to the people. And in the large quantity, he was right. God still redeems his people in the end anyway. But it's interesting in Jeremiah 11, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, his prophet, the person that he's called to reach his nation. He says, do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. And that's how Jesus ends this little section on on judging, right? He says, you will run into people who are just going to trample on what is holy. And you do not have to keep throwing pearls before swine. And we've seen these kinds of people to our grief, right? To our regret and remorse and grief, even to tears and weeping. We have seen and encountered and have these types of people sometimes even in our own family. 
They seem to be perpetually in distress from the consequences of the sin in their life. And they ask for help, and they get good counsel, and they get assistance, and they get put on the path of righteousness, and then they ignore the wisdom of God, and they ignore the counsel that they've received, and they squander what they have been given, and they continue in old destructive habits, and they get deeper into trouble from their sin, and then they ask for help again. And you may think, well, I'm a Christian. I just have to keep helping them every time. Actually, no, you don't have to just keep helping them every single time. If you have the wisdom of God, you will be able to discern by the Spirit when it is the right time for you to stop giving what is holy to dogs. And if you want more on that, uh, there's a whole sermon, Mercy Demands a Response. You can look that one up on the, inter- on, on the website where I talk about the response that mercy expects. Even God's mercy expects a response. So Jesus said more than just, do not judge lest you be judged. There's a little bit more to his words. And in fact, the scripture deals with this over and over and over and over again. You can go to the Old Testament and go to the Law and the Prophets and see God's wisdom in how we are to judge and how he appoints judges and, and, the, and the ways in which they are to judge. We, you're going to be looking a lot in the New Testament in your life groups about judging. This aspect of living out the Christian life, like I say, is probably one of the top three most difficult and where it is most necessary to be razor sharp in our clarity. You can have no lazy thinking when it comes to judging one another. It is the most delicate thing that we do, and so we have to be razor sharp in our clarity. We must be biblically saturated in order to know the wisdom of God. We are called to be competent and compassionate discerners of what is true and holy, and then to judge rightly with those measures that we have. To judge like a Christian is not an easy task, but a necessary one. This is why we equip ourselves, and this is why we hold each other accountable to keep the logs and the specks out of each other's eyes. And we always engage with compassion, even those and especially those whom we must hold accountable to the truth of God's word. We never judge in hypocrisy or harshness of spirit. We never judge out of our own motives or our own wisdom. We always judge with gentleness, with the fruit of the spirit, with compassion after first checking that we are judging only from the measures and the right justice and truth of God's word. That's how we judge like a Christian. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of Jesus. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Father, we just stand here today in knowledge that your son came to redeem that we've already been judged. We can look around the world and see what's going on. We know what the quality of our human race is. That's not a secret. We can look at our own lives and know what we can do on our own as humans. So that's decided. But what happened when Jesus came is he came in gentleness and compassion and full of the Spirit to rescue and to redeem, to say, I can't agree with what you're doing, but I can offer you another way. And Lord, that's what we need to be. We need to be the aroma of Christ to those who need the wisdom of God, that we can say to them, I love you, but I can't agree with what you're doing. Let me show you another way. Let Jesus show you another way. There is a right path for you. It's a narrow path. It's a defined path. It's a clear path. And you can get on that path. We can be on that path by knowing Christ Jesus. 
Father, just help us in our weakness. Help us in our fallen nature to be good judges, to judge as you would have us judge, be compassionate as you would have us be compassionate, be competent workers and administers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.